it's only so much I could do without the ball in my hands. I just sit and stand in the corner. Uh, when we run in plays for our best players. Every team knows that we, you know, and uh, they do a good job of shutting that down. And you know, we we can't allow that. You know, when they shut that down, we can't keep trying to go to those guys. We gotta, you know, abort that, and you know, find another way to get them the ball in the spots that they need the ball. Um, and like I said, for me, it's. I can only do so much with just standing in the corner or when I come up and give the ball away. So, um, you know, I do everything I can on the other end to try to combat that. Um, you know, I try to talk. You know, I try to, you know, make the plays, get those guys the ball where they need it, where they want it. You're listening to Beck QL Daily, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook, with Joe Ostrowski, Joe Gillio, and Aaron Hawksworth from Beck QL. Welcome back. It's Beck QL Daily presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Joe O, Joe G, Aaron Hawksworth here on a Tuesday morning. Let's talk some NBA. The voice there of Marcus Smart after his team lost last night in really historic fashion. The Celtics led the Bulls 103-89 entering the fourth quarter last night. They lost by 14. They entered the quarter up 14. They lost the game by 14. That's never happened in the shot clock era. Let's talk some NBA here. Our Odyssey NBA insiders on the Roman guest line, Brian Scalabrini. He knows a lot about this Celtics team. Let's start there. Celtics-Bulls last night. Brian, big picture. The Bulls look like they're uh, they're turning things around and look pretty good. But what the heck happened in that fourth quarter last night? Yeah, so first of all, you got to play 48 minutes. The Celtics, what they did as far as like, – I hear what Mark Marcus Smart is saying, and I think he's probably just talking about – it's the last 15 minutes of this game – when they played with energy and the ball was popping and moving and they were shooting the ball well and they were getting after it defensively and that was transitioning into easy baskets, there was probably no complaints from the Boston Celtics at that point. But once, and I have to admit this, like I, I don't, I like the Bulls. I don't think the Bulls are a phenomenal team, but here's where I underrated them. Uh, DeSumo, Io DeSumo from Illinois, Tony Bradley, Eric Jones Jr., Alex Caruso. These are not household names, and I get it. Like, DeMar DeRozan had a big night, and so did Zach Levine. But that, that game changed when the Bulls bench came in there and just really turned that uh, turned that game around with a completely different identity and getting after it defensively. But when you start to unfold the Celtics, when things started going bad, they reverted back into bad habits, which they've had now for probably the last two seasons. And they got to figure out a way to get an identity and stick with that identity. You, you can't. In the game nowadays, and I'm sure you guys have noticed, the physicality has improved a lot. Like, it's way different than it was last year. You can't just go one-on-one anymore because they're allowing guys to put hands on you. And now, so, so ball movement and player movement becomes at a premium with, you know, the way that the rules are, are, are being called right now. So, really, the bottom fell off, and the Celtics just reverted back to who they have been in the past. Uh, Scout, it, it did feel like at one point during that post-game press conference, though, with Smart, that the finger-pointing, I don't know, you tell me, you're the former player, did he cross a line? I, I thought what stood out the most is when he mentioned, hey, we've been asking them to do this, and they're still not doing that, talking about uh, Tatum and Brown. Yeah, I think probably crossed the line a little bit, and um you know, those are, you know, they're the pillars of your franchise. You know, Brad Stevens has made no no bones about it that he wants to build a team around those two guys and he wants to bring players in or, or have players on the team that are going to enhance those guys. But, you know, and what he's saying is not wrong. He's not saying, like, he's, you know, it might be, it might be wrong to say it, but, yeah, like, those guys, and, we, and we've, we've talked about this on the broadcast. We talked about it in the 
pregame, postgame shows, that those guys, for them to become elite players, they have to become high assist guys. That's just the way it goes. Like, if I gave you a piece of paper and I said, give me all the elite guys in the NBA, those guys those guys are usually averaging over five assists a game, sometimes averaging you know, close to nine or ten. So I do think that those guys need to take that step. Now, I'm not thinking that one day Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to average ten assists a game, but – they got to be up north of you know six every single night, and the nights that they don't have those high assist numbers, and they should be flirting with you know nine, ten, eleven, twelve once in a while. But it, we're, you're you're not getting those numbers, and it's a little bit of my turn basketball with those two. But it's still early in the season. I thought that more more than anything, the pressure is not on, to, in my opinion, on Jason Tatum, who's accomplished, or Jalen Brown, or Marcus Smart. Like those guys have been to conference finals. The pressure is on Ime Udoka, who's now taking over for Brad Stevens, and he hasn't had a home win yet. Like, There's times when players got to throw the coach a bone, and this is an example where a player and all the players, like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, did not talk to the media yesterday. So I think the players have to throw those guys a bone, by, by uh, Ime Udoka a bone, by saying, like, all right, let's stand up and let's say we're united. We'll figure this thing out. We're gonna, this is going to take some time. Not – not talk to the media, and then Marcus Smart basically saying, I don't like the sets that we run. Brian, the Knicks, they were favorites against the Raptors. They lose outright at the Garden, a bad third quarter. They were blown out, couldn't pull away in the fourth. What has been your assessment of this Knicks team? I like the Knicks. I do. I think, I think at times when things get rough, they don't have an offensive identity. But I like the way that they play. I like Julius Randle at times. But um, one thing about Toronto, they're a real tough physical team. And so if you don't match their physicality, that's going to that's gonna overwhelm you. And I thought the Knicks had a, a, a good start to that game. But then when you start looking at the physicality of the OGN and Nobis of the world, like those guys put their bodies on you. They beat you up on the offensive end. So I think the Knicks kind of let their guard down. It's tough. Like complacency is a big thing in the NBA. That's why – Probably you look back and see some of these all-time great players. They just don't get complacent. They just keep driving. They like Every day is a new day for them. They don't care what their record is. So I think the Knicks got a little complacent. Things have been you know relatively easy for them this season so far, which is because they're a really good team and they're organized. But the two things that they got to figure out is what is their offensive identity at the end of games and what is their offensive identity when another team is on a run? How do you right the ship? on the offensive end. And a lot of times it's Julius Randle going one-on-one. I probably disagree with that, but um, as of right now, that's what they're kind of leaning on. Ryan Scalabrini joining us here. Becky L. Daly presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Ryan, the, after a win last night without three starters, the Sixers 6-1 six and one against the spread. Obviously no Ben Simmons this entire season so far as he continues to some combination of, of holding out slash he's not, um, he's not ready to play and he's, he's getting some uh, treatment for whatever's ailing him. Do you think the Sixers right now are a better team without Ben Simmons? I don't think they're a better team. Um, I don't. I think they're – like last night, they had no Ben Simmons, no Tobias Harris, and uh, no Joel Embiid, and somehow they got that win. So, you know, a very impressive win. But um, I think ultimately they're going to need to use Ben Simmons to add something to the piece. And last night was interesting because – Damian Lillard hasn't played well in Portland, and everyone's talking about, oh, I'm staying here, I, I, I want to be here. But who's to say that Portland is not going to trade Damian Lillard? And he's in Philadelphia. They're saying, we want Lillard. He's watching this team. He knows Embiid's still on that team. 
It'll be, I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I'm just saying there's an interesting dynamic last night with Portland being in Philadelphia and the fact that those guys are out and the fact that Philadelphia won that game. Damian Lillard has to wake up today and say, wait a minute, maybe, maybe I don't want to be here. Maybe I want to go out and, and, and play at a different place and, and maybe win a championship there because watching Portland this year, I'm not sure that they're a championship-level team. And I, I do think that – uh, the Philadelphia 76ers would, in a, in a heartbeat, trade Ben Simmons and a couple picks probably for a, um, a Damian Lillard. So we'll see if that transpires. But I just thought it was a really interesting dynamic last night. Uh, Scal, I want to go back to the Bulls for a minute. Bulls fans just over the moon right now. Best record in the NBA. They're 6-1 and one against the spread. Best ATS record in the NBA. And, and you talked about the support they got from, from their bench players last night, including uh, the rookie Io out of Illinois. Uh, what about the rest? I mean, now they're starting to play tough teams. Uh, they just beat Utah and Boston. It's a tough schedule for the next couple of weeks. You know, what really shocks me is I just didn't expect all these new players to gel so quickly under Donovan. Yeah, so I, I think who I just earlier talked about offensive identity, right? And and that's important. You've got to have that in particular. But what was the most impressive about what I've seen from them is they can play a lot of different ways. So you, you have, you have a, a way where, let's say um, last night they started, they were moving the ball great. They were just like picking the Celtics apart, and they got a lead in that game. I think they were up by 14 at one point before the Celtics ended up going up 19 before things started to change. But So they got that lead by moving the ball. DeMar DeRozan can go one-on-one. You've seen it in the past. But DeMar DeRozan, after playing with San Antonio, can also play that ball movement offense. The bench players, they play wild, they play free, they play fast. So let's just say that you're having a game, and this happens in the NBA a lot, and I think it happened in the Utah game too. The energy was down. Well, if you have bench players that can insert some, some energy into the game, then some other guys can finish it out. So my, my point of bringing all that up is when you have a team that just can play one way and they just rely on the stars and the stars just like kind of run out of gas. for the, And a lot of times stars don't run out of gas for an entire game. They, they might not have it for, a, um, you know, like, let's say a quarter or they're just not playing well, they're tired, whatever the reason. And then all of a sudden, like last night, like Zach Levine was not, he was not very good for two and a half quarters. But the energy and, and the way that they were playing, the speed, and all of a sudden Zach Levine got some new life and he, and he saw one shot go in, and he ended up with 26 points on the night because, because of, you know, he just they, – they found a way to insert some energy. So I think those bench players do that. And Lonzo Ball is a fun player to watch. Alex Caruso is a, a high-energy player. They make quick decisions. And they just have a lot of different pieces where they can, they can win a lot of different ways. And they're going to be tested. But they were tested against Utah, and the bench came through. And they got tested against the Celtics, and the bench came through. So, so far what they're doing – and this is – remember, they, they miss, they're missing Patrick Williams, who's a really good player. So – like they're, they've been impressive, and as of right now, I know it's super early, but Billy Donovan, in my opinion, doing what he's doing with this group, looks like he should be coach of the year. Hawks and Knicks, uh, two teams that ranked in the top five in free throw rate last year. They've been both very solid to the under. With a lot of these fouls not getting called, these are two teams, the Hawks and the Nets, that have relied on free throws. I'm just curious your take on this situation and how things have kind of changed for those two teams. Yeah, I mean, the physicality. Is, um, so Trey Young and James Harden would be the two guys in particular that really stand out. Kevin Durant's not a take the contact and 
exacerbate it with a snap your head back or anything like that. But Harden does it, and so does Trey Young. But one thing I would say about great players is they're always going to adapt. And, um, you know, James Harden had 19 free throws the other night. And uh, guys are, instead of Harden really selling the foul, he's probably just going to play more. And I still think he will get to the free throw line because he's a great player. And Trey Young, it's just make what you're seeing out of a lot of his possessions, and which is maybe not the worst thing in the world. So when Trey Young goes to the basket and he goes into his floater, he can also throw a lob and he can also, you know, kick it out to a guy for three. Both those guys, in my opinion, are just moving the ball more when they're getting downhill. So as opposed to saying, should I try to sell the foul right here? They're just making the right basketball play. And so I think that those two, I think that their team will adapt. And I think that both those teams will, their scoring will start to pick up. It might not be what last year was because last year was a little bit of a joke as far as the physicality of the NBA. And I think a lot of people have mentioned, like it was, it was to me, it was unwatchable. And people, everyone thought it was so great to get these great stats and these big, it's a 137, 135 game. It's unbelievable. I like good defense where the players, and you could see how great these offensive players are. And I think that the scoring will start to creep up. And, and But it's because the great players will now adapt to this new style of play. Scout, one of those great offensive players, John Morant. I'm sitting on a 55-1 to 1 John Morant MVP ticket, and I'm feeling pretty good right now. It was a long shot, but 26-8-7 last night in a win over the Nuggets. He's made a leap, but what have you noticed, and do you think John Morant could keep this up and, and kind of put himself in that stratosphere of a, a top-10 player in the league? Yeah, so so to win the MVP, right, from the guard position, I've seen one with my eyes. I was I was on the team with Derrick Rose, and you got to be like that. you got to be a high-energetic guard that are not affected by back-to-backs, and I think that, that John Morant does qualify for that. Like On the nights where the rest of your team is maybe running in mud a little bit, John Morant doesn't ever seem like he's running in mud. So as far as that, like you could check that box. The next box would be, can the Memphis Grizzlies win enough games? And if the Memphis Grizzlies are in the top three in the West, then that 55 to one looks really good for you. And so I, um, I, I do think that he has the energy. He has the athleticism. His jumper has really come a long way since two years ago, but he's still improving even from last year. So yeah, I think like John Morant is definitely in that category. What? He's a guy that's really fun to watch from this standpoint. There's one thing that he does, and I haven't seen a lot of NBA players do this. He jumps in the air in the middle of the lane, and he waits for like people to land. And once he's almost about to land on the ground, that's when he shoots his layup. And it's really fun to watch. And I, I've even like tried to you know, tell young kids, this is a, like a, a, a dynamic part of the game that if you can work on, you could be really good at it. Most guys, you know, they jump up and they shoot the layup on the way up, but you know, with John Morant, they had so much ball movement when he's in the lane. It reminds me a little bit like when Isaiah Thomas was top five in the MVP voting, how Isaiah used to get downhill. And everyone would say, how does Isaiah get his shot off? But if you ever watch him play, he, he is always like bringing the ball up, bringing the ball back down, waiting until he's about to land, and then goes up there and shoots it. So John Morant has, has all those little finishing qualities. And if his jumper continues to go, doesn't get hurt, and the Memphis is top three or maybe even top four, in the West, and you, you, your bet looks really well, really good right now. Great stuff. That was Brian Scalabrini on the Roman Guest Line. Get a free online evaluation, ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. Go to GetRoman.com slash BetQL now to get $15 off your first month. That's GetRoman.com slash BetQL. We'll jump back to the NFL next. Ryan Williams of FanDuel Number Fire joins us. This is BetQL Daily. 
presented as always by FanDuel Sportsbook right here on the BetQL Network.